Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 9. It can be found on page 600 in our Pew Bibles, or 1147 in our large print Pew Bibles. Before I read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for the ways that you provide for what we need. God, we thank you that you have given your word to us, that we can know who you are, that we can know who we are much more accurately than anything else in the world tells us. And that God, as we come to know who you are and to know who we are, God, we thank you that in your word you also tell us about your son through whom we can come to know you, not from a distance, but closely and personally. God, we thank you for providing what we need. We pray that you would help us this morning to make use of what you have given, to draw closer to you even today. We pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would continue... The work of transformation in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 53, 7 through 9. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Turning then to Hebrews 9, verses 23 to 28, should be found on page 973. In our few Bibles in 1870 in the large print. It says, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. The last several weeks we have been, uh, other than last week, been looking at a, uh, a topic through the Bible that only appears three times. And that is, we've been looking at the tears of Jesus. 
the times when Jesus cries. And uh, today we're going to be looking at one of those times, which we're doing them a little out of order, but we saved this one for Palm Sunday because it actually happened on the first Palm Sunday. So we'll take a look at that. Um, but to get in there, you know, in Romans, the whole letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, he spends a lot of time talking about what God has done for us in Jesus and goes all the way through and how it's not uh, who we are. It's not about what our family line is. It's not about kind of an us versus them sort of thing. It's everybody is hopeless apart from Jesus. But God sent Jesus. And so you go all the way through uh, all of Romans, and then finally you get to chapter 12, and he says, okay, now, if this is the life that we now have in Christ, how do we live? And of course, one of the first things it says is, well, of course we live in love, as those who love God and who love others. And there's description of what that actually looks like when put into practice. And we referred to this a little bit, but let me uh, read Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This is part of what it means to actually love others in action. To rejoice with those who are rejoicing because you care about them. And when things are good for them, you don't go, "Ah, I wish that were me. No, you rejoice with them because their good is something you can celebrate. It also says to mourn with those who mourn. And so when somebody else is having a hard time and dealing with something very difficult, you don't say, oh, too bad for them. But you join with them in their grief and in their sorrow, and you mourn with them. And we actually have seen this already with Jesus um, at the tomb of Lazarus. We have people who are mourning, and there is Jesus right there in the midst of them, weeping as well. This week, we're going to see something a little different. Because actually, we don't only rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, but if we really do love others, there will be times when we will mourn for them while they are rejoicing. There will be times when we will mourn for others who are in the midst of rejoicing. Why? If you have ever loved a teenager, you probably already know the answer. (laughs) Because you see someone you love make a choice that you know is not good for them. That you know will bring them nothing but pain and suffering and sorrow on down the road, but they don't see it. And so in the midst of their celebrating this choice that they're making, you're aggrieved and you can mourn for them even as they're rejoicing. This is what we see with Jesus on Palm Sunday. We see people rejoicing, cheering him on even. But rather than joining in their celebration and rejoicing with those who rejoice, he stops and he weeps over the city because he knows the choice they're making. With that, we turn to Luke. Luke chapter 19. Verses 28 to 44. 
says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? Can you imagine? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So there we have it. Jesus approaching the city. The first thing we need to recognize of what's going on here is that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. That is what we see from the very beginning as he's approaching, as he is uh, calling for the colt where he gets to commandeer his vehicle. Right? That's what's going on here. As there's a, there's a colt, go get it. It's mine now. I'm riding it. You don't get to do that unless you have some authority. <laughs> but here he does it. And he rides this colt in towards Jerusalem. But it's not just that that lets us know he's king. In fact, Luke gives, a, gives us a little hint right at the beginning when it says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Well, after he had said what? After he told a story. A story about a man who went away to become a king and the people who didn't want him to be a king. I'll let you read that one for yourself. But they didn't want him to be a king. And they rejected him as their king. And it did not end well for them. And then it says, after Jesus had said this, he went on up to Jerusalem. As though Luke is saying right there at the beginning, Jesus is this king that he was talking about, and he's going to be rejected. And then we see Jesus going up to Jerusalem in the way that a king might. And we see the crowd celebrating as they would celebrate a king coming in. But he's a different kind of king. One who is not concerned with grabbing as much power as he can. But one who weeps over the city because he cares for the people who don't know what's good for them. See, Jesus is not, even though he is a king, he's not the king that people want. That's the second part of this. He's not the king that people want. And so they do. 
And they will reject him. And he knows this is the case. That going up to Jerusalem, he's not going to be welcomed throughout the city. He's not going to be the one who runs Pilate off back to the Romans. He's not the one who deposes Herod and takes his seat on Herod's throne. He knows he's not the king they're looking for. And then instead of going to the throne, he's going to a cross. This is what Jesus is doing. Now let me tell you. We read this story every year. Every year on Palm Sunday, we gather the palms around and we tell the whole story again of Jesus coming into the city. But you know, every four years, it kind of takes on a different meaning for us. Every four years as we read of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem as the king, we're in the middle of primary season as we look to elect a president for our country. And it changes the way we think about things, doesn't it? They were looking for a leader. We're looking for a leader. It changes how we view it. But I want to tell you something. And I hope this is good news to you. No matter who wins through the primaries, no matter who wins in November, Jesus will still be on the throne. Jesus will still be on the throne as the king of all kings, as the lord of all lords, as the ruler of all rulers, as the president of all presidents. So whether the person that you really, really, really hope gets elected does, or whether the person you really, really, really hope doesn't get elected does, either way, Jesus will still be on the throne as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Here's the problem. The problem that we're, <laughs> we face with that is the same problem they faced in Jerusalem. They didn't want him as a king. They had divided themselves up. In fact, if you go back and you look at the political parties that they had in Jerusalem at the time, it's very similar to the political parties we've divided ourselves into today. There's a variety. It's not just the two. <laughs> but they divided themselves into these various groups and factions And they lobbied for power. And they tried to get their guy in. And you even see a little bit of that even here as Jesus is coming to town. Because you have two groups already. One is those who have the power and want everything to stay the same. And the other is the group that wants revolution. That wants something to happen, something to change, that wants somebody to come in and kick out everybody who's got the power and making everything stay the same. Did you see that? The disciples are cheering Jesus on. Here comes the one who is going to be our king, who's going to overthrow the Romans, who's going to get them out of here so that we can have, you know, get back to our golden days again. Or maybe on to a new glorious future. But as it's happening... Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise and peace in heaven and the glory and glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they don't want a revolution. Because <laughs> they know if there's a revolution, they're the ones who are on their way out. So some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Let's not get all this stirred up. Let's not get everybody excited. Let's just take it easy. Keep everything the way it is. So here's the question. 
Who got it right? Neither one. Which political party today has it right? Of the main two? Neither one. Of all the other options? None of the above. (laughs) And that's not that they don't all have something right. But they're all fallen. Because we're all fallen. And it's only as our politics, as well as our finances, as well as our relationships, as well as every part of our lives, comes under the lordship of Jesus, that anything gets straightened out at all. But they didn't want it. And often we don't want it. Jesus is the king. He's not the king they wanted. But he is the king they needed. And this is why he weeps for the city. And he says, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. This is what they've been calling for. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is very similar to what the angels said when they were announcing the birth of Jesus earlier in this very book. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's what they want. But they have no idea where it comes from. But Jesus will tell his disciples where it comes from. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is what he says to his disciples the night before he dies. That he gives them peace, but not in the way the world does. Because the world thinks in order to get peace, you have to get rid of the bad guys. One way or another. And there are lots of options as to how you do that. But you've got to get rid of the bad guys. That's how you get peace. Jesus has a very different approach. He says, the way you get peace is you get rid of the bad guy inside yourself. And there's only one way to do that. And that is for that guy, that person inside of us, to die along with Jesus. And then be raised to a whole new life. But who wants to do that? And so often, people don't. And so, Jesus comes to Jerusalem back then. He comes to us today as the king. The one we need. The one who will bring real, true, lasting peace. And he gets rejected. For the systems and the things of this world. 40 is a number that generally gets used in the Bible as a time of testing. And we see this you know, through Noah and the flood, where it rains 40 days and 40 nights. We see it the Israelites after Egypt when they didn't go into the promised land and they're in the wilderness for 40 years. We see Jesus as he goes into the wilderness after his baptism for 40 days and then is tempted. There's a time of testing to see what the character, what character is revealed of the people who are going through the testing. I think it's curious that the Romans didn't come in and destroy the temple as soon as Jesus died and was raised. But it happened about 40 years later. There were about 40 years after Jesus died and was raised again where people were spreading the news of who Jesus was and what this meant. And yet the people still rejected. 
And they said, if he's not going to be the one to throw out the Romans, then we're going to do it ourselves. And they found other people that they could rally behind who would take the reins of power and try to take on the Romans. And of course, they're crushed. The city's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. Last year, I went there. There's one wall of the temple that still stands. Still, to this day. And every day, every day, Jews will gather at that wall and they will write their prayers on pieces of paper and they will tuck it in the cracks. Have to go through and clean it out every once in a while because it just gets so stuffed full of prayers that people are stuffing in these cracks between the gigantic stones. But they stay at the wall and they pray. And they weep because of the destruction that has come upon the people and upon the city. They know now what happened to the people who revolted against Rome the way they did. And they weep. But Jesus wasn't just saying, if only you knew that what you're getting ready to do is a bad idea. But instead, he's, if only you knew what it would be that would bring you peace. If you knew that now, as I'm coming to you now, if you knew that now, in Jerusalem, whose name actually means a city of peace. But they rejected it. And he said the reason why the um, destruction was coming, last verse, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Here it is. Jesus coming to them, but they don't recognize it. They reject it. And he goes, I went to that wall. I went to that wall and I prayed. And I was not praying probably what many of them were praying. That the city would be rebuilt, that the temple would be rebuilt, and that uh, the glory would come back again like it was in the days of old and all that. Because I think for many who are, who are there praying now, they would be praying the same kind of things as the very people who rejected Jesus all that time ago. Now, my prayer was more like what Jesus is praying here. If only they knew. If only everyone who would come to that wall would understand why it had happened because they, had, because they did not recognize the time of God's coming to them. If only they would know what it is that would really bring them peace. Now, this is not just a message for what happened in Jerusalem a long time ago. It's not just about what's going on in Jerusalem today. And it's certainly not just about the political situation we're in in our country today. But the reason that Jesus was weeping for Jerusalem is because they were about to be faced with a question and he already knew their answer. And the question was going to be, if Jesus is the king, were they going to accept him as king? Or were they going to look for another king? And that question is the same one, not only that they had to answer then, but that we have to answer now. It is a very serious question. One that we will spend a lot of time and energy, and important time and energy, determining who will be the next uh, president of this country. And that gets talked about a lot. 
But many people will go through this entire political season and never take a moment to question whether or not Jesus is their king personally. To lead them through every aspect of their life. That is the question before us. The question that the people of Jerusalem had to face then, the people of Jerusalem have to face now, the people of El Dorado have to face now, and everywhere else. If Jesus is the king, he's the one we need. Is he the one we want? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You have come to us. You have come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords But God, so often we want to have you as an advisor while we stay on the throne. But we know that you will have none of that. That you are the king and there can be no other. So Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see Jesus as the king now. And what that means for our lives each day. We pray that you would open our eyes to the desires that try to pull us away. That is nothing more than bait on a hook. Seeking our destruction. And God, we pray that you would keep us from the fears that startle us into sticking our heads in the sand like ostriches. And though we feel safe, leaves us more exposed to danger than ever. Lord, we ask that you would help us to come close to you. That you would be our king. That we would know peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.